Well, if you would, take your Bibles and open them up to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 16. And we will read in just a moment when you arrive there and when I arrive there. Acts 16, verses 6. Ten, and because this is the word of God and you are the people of God on the Lord's day, if you are able, would you please stand to hear from the God who still speaks to his people in his word? Acts 16, beginning in verse 6, Luke wrote, as he was carried along by the Holy Spirit, these words. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. The book of Acts is the story of the church boldly and steadfastly proclaiming the message of Christ to the world empowered by the Holy Spirit. If you've been with us throughout our exposition in Acts, this message is reiterated time and time again through various early church leaders at various locations in various chapters throughout this book. In the early chapters of Acts, for example, Luke highlighted the central role of the apostle Peter. And so those first few chapters really do accent Peter's central role as a spirit-empowered leader in the early church. Others, like Stephen, also played significant roles in bold gospel sharing and doing so, again, by the power of God, the Holy Spirit. In the second half of Acts, which is where we find ourselves this morning and have been here the last few weeks, Luke zeroes in on the ministry of the Apostle Paul and his companions. However, Luke's desire, and this is important as we read through this book that is often referred to throughout church history as the Acts of the Apostles. Luke is not fundamentally accenting any single Christian leader, such as Peter or Paul. Rather, Luke's fundamental desire is to demonstrate that no matter the instrument, the human instrument that is, no matter the time, no matter the location or set of circumstances, it is the risen and ascended Christ who is building his church through the ministry of the Holy Spirit sent by Christ. That's really the story of 
the book of Acts. And so in our text this morning, we find again that it is the Holy Spirit who leads the church in taking the gospel to the world. In fact, there are a couple of instances, and I highlighted those as I was reading the text, a couple of times where the Holy Spirit is described as preventing or forbidding. And we'll talk about those, camp out there in just a few moments. So this morning, what we're going to do is we are going to talk about the Holy Spirit's leadership in gospel proclamation by asking and answering three questions. Asking and answering three questions. And these are common questions um, or related to common questions that we ask on a regular basis as we walk through the text of Scripture this morning. If you're taking down notes, you can jot these down. The first question is what? The second question is who? And the third question is how? What, who, and how? So the broader probably answer these questions, but uh, we'll unpack them together. What was Paul's goal? Secondly, who was Paul's guide? So first, what was Paul's goal? Second, who was Paul's guide? And then third, how does this text inform us as the church today? How does this text inform us as the church today? Another way to say that is simply to ask the question, how does this apply to us? And our younger worshipers in the room, we oftentimes give a couple of questions for our younger worshipers, our younger theologians um, who are in the room with parents or grandparents. Uh, There are a couple of items I want you to look for. We don't always mirror these uh, or frame these out of the general outline, but this morning they are. And so our younger worshipers, I want you to be able to ask and answer those first two questions, okay? So these are the questions you're looking for. Again, one, what was Paul's goal in the text? We want you in the Bible with us. What was his goal in the text? What does the text say? And we'll talk about these things together. And then secondly, who was guiding Paul? Who was guiding him? And that appears very clearly in the text as well. And as always, uh, younger theologians, younger worshipers, I would love to hear your answers after the service, okay? You bless me when you come and share your answers. Or if I'm not clear, you can ask me. Just say, I didn't get the answer to this one. Can you help me think through this? I would love to open up God's word with you and talk about those things. So come and grab me after the service and share those answers with me if you would give me that blessing. Let's begin with our first question. What was Paul's goal? And we find this in a couple of places in the text. So notice verse six with me. Look at verse six. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Now notice this, to speak the word in Asia. To speak the word in Asia. That was his desire. Now look over at verse 10. So the first verse and the last verse communicate Paul's goal. Verse 10, and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to what? Preach the gospel to them. So Paul's goal in life and ministry was simple, right? We've seen this throughout Acts. His goal was to proclaim the message of Christ. It was really that simple. Paul built his life, or rather, his life was being built by the Spirit of God around the gospel. And so Paul's goal was to preach Christ through all of his relationships, all of his endeavors, all of his travels. He aimed to preach Christ. From Paul's conversion in Acts chapter 9, and this has been some time since we've been in Acts 9. Acts chapter 9 
all the way to the present text, Acts 16, and we'll see this throughout the rest of Acts. Acts concludes with Paul proclaiming Christ in Rome. That's how it concludes. And we'll get there in about five years. No, probably won't that. It won't be that long. Following Paul's conversion, let me just mention to you a verse that I think is telling, and we, and we did uh, highlight this verse a number of months ago when we were there in Acts 9. Following Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus, listen to what Luke says about Paul in Acts 9.20. So this is right after Paul is converted, at least as the narrative reads, right after Paul is converted on the road to Damascus, as he's on this road to persecute Christians, carrying on behalf of the high priests, right, the authority to arrest Christians and put them in prison on account of their faith in Jesus Christ. Of course, the Lord, the risen Lord, the risen and ascended Lord appears to Paul on the road. He's blinded, he falls to the ground, and his life is never the same again. So right after that, listen to what Luke wrote about Paul. Acts 9.20, and immediately Paul proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues saying, he is the Son of God. Immediately, this has characterized all of Paul's Christian life. Christ and his promised future return. It is commonplace in some evangelical Christian circles to talk about a life verse. To be frank, if I could be frank, I don't know what my life verse would be. I've been asked that question a number of times. I never have a good answer. Some of you do, some of you don't. Some of you have never heard of this. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with having a life verse, Um, nothing necessary about having one either. But if Paul were to have a kind of Life verse, a verse in the New Testament, at least within his writings, that communicated his passion, I suppose Colossians 1.28 would be as good as any. Listen to what he wrote in Colossians 1.28. Him, that is Christ, we proclaim. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So you see this time and time again, this is Paul's ambition, this is Paul's goal, this is Paul's passion, this is Paul's commitment to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ, friends, is the message the church proclaims. The good news that we share with one another when we gather together and the good news that we share with others Outside of the church as we go is that God has done something decisively with this broken world full of broken people. And he's done something decisively by sending his son who lived the life we could not live but should have lived in perfect obedience to God the Father who died in our place and for our sins, who was buried, who on the third day was raised from the dead Bodily, who appeared to many of his followers for a period of 40 days, instructing them through the word of God, who has ascended into heaven and now sits at the right hand of the Father, who will someday come back to this earth to claim the earth and his people as his own. This is the message we proclaim, and I would encourage you this morning, if you've not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, if you've not placed your trust in God the Son incarnate, whom we would 
propose to you this morning is the only sufficient Savior of sinners like us. Then I'd encourage you to do that. Embrace Christ this morning. Trust in Christ this morning. And by the way, if you've trusted in Christ, trust in Christ this morning. A lot of talk these days about having application, right? And it's important to have application from the word of God. God's word indeed does instruct us in how to live an obedient life to the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit, indeed. But you know it is an application of all of Scripture to simply say, trust Christ. Surrender to Christ. You never graduate beyond embracing Christ as all-sufficient for you. If you'd like to talk more about this, uh, perhaps you have questions about Christianity. Maybe, maybe you have protests, by the way. That's okay. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love that. I would love that. Uh, would you stick around after the service and have a conversation with us? I mentioned earlier in the welcome and announcements, uh, the room called Crossroads, if you exit one of these double doors and take a left on the right-hand side out there, is a room. It's clearly labeled above the entrance, Crossroads. Uh, if you have questions, or perhaps you think you, you're embracing Christ for the first time, uh, perhaps you're a follower of Jesus Christ and, and you've been outside of the church, which is an unhealthy place to be. You recognize that you need to be trusting in Christ and walking into obedience to Christ, which includes being in the body of Christ. All of those things we'd love to visit with you after the service. So come and meet us there and uh, give us the privilege of talking with you, perhaps even coming alongside of you and you alongside of us as we learn to more faithfully trust Jesus Christ. So that was Paul's goal, to proclaim Christ. Really that simple. So younger worshipers, you've got the answer to your question. Proclaim the gospel. Proclaim the good news. What was, or rather, who was Paul's guide? That's the second question we're going to ask and answer this morning. And this, this really is the nucleus, I think, of our text this morning. Notice who forbade Paul to speak the word in Asia in verse 6? Did you see that? In verse 6, someone uh, prevents the Apostle Paul from speaking the word in Asia. Who is it? The Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God prevents Paul from fulfilling his goal to proclaim Christ. Is that odd to anybody else? Paul wants to proclaim Christ, and the Holy Spirit prevents him in Asia. Uh, I perhaps should say this as an aside. Don't think the continent of Asia. Uh, When Asia is used throughout the New Testament, it is often a reference to a small slice of Western Asia known as Asia Minor. And so uh, Paul now is traveling through Asia Minor, referred to in the first century often as Asia, he's traveling through Asia Minor, and the Spirit is just preventing him from proclaiming Christ. Interestingly. We'll revisit that in just a second. Now, we're not told how the Spirit forbade him. Did the Spirit speak directly to Paul? Paul, don't preach Christ in Asia. Maybe. Did the Spirit lead through circumstances, perhaps? Did the Spirit grant a vision? It's possible. We see the Spirit in this sense, or at least we assume, indeed, it's the work of the Spirit leading through a vision in Acts 16, a bit later in our text. 
We simply do not know. What we do know is it was the Holy Spirit who was leading Paul, and that's what we've got to get. So who was Paul's guide? The Spirit of God. So Paul's goal is to preach the Son of God. Paul's guide is the Spirit of God. And here the Spirit prevents. Now notice verse 7. Verse 7, this continues. And when they, and by the way, this is, this is Paul, this is Silas, uh, this is now Timothy, and as we're going to see in just a moment, uh, this is Luke, perhaps some others. Luke is traveling with them. When they had come up to Mysia, or at least, forgive me, Luke will join. It's difficult to know when he joins. He will join in our text. When they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but notice again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. This is really bizarre. Acts began with the promise, Acts 1.8, you will receive Christ. Christ, before he ascended into heaven, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Power for what? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, the spirit that empowers the church to proclaim Christ prevents Paul from proclaiming Christ. In the text, in particular locations, Paul's life and ministry look a bit like a game of spirit-led pinball, don't they, at this point? I mean, he's bouncing all over the place. He attempts to go this direction, the Spirit prevents. He attempts to go that direction, the Spirit redirects. But again, I want to highlight this. The primary point undergirding all of this is the Spirit of God is with Paul, leading Paul to proclaim Christ. And he won't do it in Asia Minor, not now. Not to the degree he desires to do it. He attempts to go to Bithynia. He will not proclaim in Bithynia. No, no. The Spirit of God is pushing Paul. Why? Remember the promise. Acts 1a, I just quoted it. You will, but you will receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and then what? The end of the earth. Don't stop. In, in fact, I'm surmising a bit here, but as the gospel is being proclaimed by the apostles and their delegates, by the early church, various churches are being founded and uh, elders are being appointed. And so there are believers in Jesus Christ that are spreading and being sent and they're going with the gospel. And so what the Spirit is doing is not allowing the apostle Paul to get settled in one location yet. No, no, it's not time for that, Paul. Keep going. Not that way, this way. It is the Spirit of God who is guiding the Apostle Paul. And, and we see this in Troas because, by the way, th there's no indication. There's no indication that Paul frustratingly returns to the Lord in prayer, disillusioned that he failed to accurately ascertain God's will for his life. That's interesting to me. Paul doesn't come to the Lord in the text, which is, by the way, the Word of God. So in the text, God doesn't communicate to us that Paul comes to him frustrated, disillusioned with 
Lord, I prayed, I fasted. I thought you wanted me to go to Asia Minor to proclaim Christ. I thought you wanted me to go to Bithynia to proclaim Christ. I don't know what to do. In fact, the way Luke is describing this, Paul just keeps going. Here he goes, boom, hits a wall, turns around. I mean, it's that simple. What Paul does know is what God has revealed. You're going to receive power through the Holy Spirit. Why? To proclaim Christ. And you're to go. And then God reveals through circumstances, redirections, ways in which the Spirit of God prevents Paul, where to do that, how long to do that. You see, Paul didn't, and we're going to return to this in how does this apply to us, uh, I think. Paul didn't spend time, as it were, in prayer, asking the Lord for a full itinerary and schedule for the rest of his life. God, I need you to tell me every facet, all the big decisions in life and ministry, I need you to give me those right now. And I'm going to fast. I'm not going anywhere till you tell me. No, because God would have responded, did respond indeed, with something like this. I already told you what to do. Go and preach Christ. It is for me to know where you're to do it, how long you're going to do it, and so forth. Um, We're going to return to this, but I think there is this bizarre obsession. I find it in my own heart, and I suspect you might find it in yours. We certainly find it in broader evangelicalism. We're Baptists. We find it in the Baptist stream. Uh, This obsession with knowing with certainty the secret will of the Lord and not spending enough time obeying his revealed will. Um, okay, that's that. We'll come back, though, maybe, <laughs> in our third question, okay? So uh, thank you for indulging me for a moment as we reflect on the Word of God together. So that was a bit of an aside. In Troas, so Paul now goes to Troas with his companions. Now, this is where, this is where Luke does surface, and I'll show you. Uh, the Lord, I got ahead of myself. The Lord grants a vision to Paul. Notice verse 10 with me. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia. There are a lot of immediately's in Acts. Not wasting time. We sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding, what did they conclude? God had called us to preach the gospel to them. We, We are to assume, by the way, in the narrative that this was God calling them to preach the gospel to them. Because we're going to get to Acts 16 verses 11 and following, they go into Philippi, and uh, the Lord does a lot of amazing things. And so forth, okay? So it is indeed the Lord who called them to Macedonia, Philippi being a part of Macedonia, and other parts of Macedonia. But did you notice how Luke describes the conclusion they come to? They concluded that God had called them. We get this weird sense also that the apostles were always operating under perfect certainty everywhere they were supposed to go. I don't think so. I just don't think so. Sometimes, indeed, this was the case, but not always. They still had to live in the ordinary mundane of life and ministry in the gospel. And so Paul received a vision, what he thought was a vision, and they concluded something. We concluded that God was calling us to go. And had they gotten there and the Spirit prevented them, do you know what they would have said? We were wrong. 
They weren't. And then I mentioned to you that Luke appears here. You notice the first person plural pronouns uh, get used now. Verse 10, chapter 16, verse 10. Uh, we sought to go on into Macedonia. You see that? Concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And then verse 11, this is not our text, but look down another verse. Verse 11, so setting sail from Troas, we, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace. So Luke has been describing things in the third person, they and he. And there's this shift, and scholars have noted this, and commentators have noted this throughout church history. There's this shift that takes place. Now Luke, the human author, as he's carried along by the Spirit of God, shifts from the third person to the first person. Now it's we, us. So Luke is now with Paul. All right, to to review, what was Paul's goal? To proclaim Christ. That was his goal. Who was Paul's guide? The Holy Spirit. Finally. And we'll conclude with this question. How does this apply to us? How does this apply to us? And there are a couple of ways I'll mention to you this morning. A couple of ways uh, I think this text informs us as followers of Jesus Christ. First, first is simply this. Trust the sovereign leadership of the Holy Spirit. And in particular, trust the sovereign leadership of the Holy Spirit in taking the gospel to others. Trust the sovereign leadership of the Holy Spirit in taking the gospel to others. We see throughout Acts a number of items, not the least of which is there are times when the apostles proclaim the gospel and then the Spirit of God opens the hearts or the minds of those who hear the word to receive the word. That's the work of the Spirit. That's not the work of the church. It's not the work of the messenger of the church. It is for us to evangelize. It is for the Spirit of God to convert. But also, trust the leadership of the Spirit of God to guide. And this is for us as a church. You know, this is a part of what it means to go with the gospel. We pray. We seek the Lord. We go with the gospel locally. We attempt to go with the gospel globally. We think perhaps the Lord is going to empower us to take the gospel to a particular place around the globe. And maybe he indeed opens up that door. Maybe he appears to open the door and then closes the door. Trust the sovereign leadership of the Holy Spirit in taking the gospel. One of the great promises in the gospel of John, fulfilled in the book of Acts, is the promise that Jesus Christ gives to his disciples not to leave them as orphans. So Jesus says, I'm going to go away, and where I'm going, you cannot come. Um, and then he goes on to tell, and there's this, there's this great exposition of the helper, the comforter, the Holy Spirit who's going to be coming, sent by the Son who proceeds from the Father through the Son, and, and uh, we're told that he's going to go, but he's going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will indeed be. So for some of you, this, uh, this may mean getting on a plane. Now, some of you have, and some of you will. Get on a plane and travel overseas in one of our missionary trips to share the gospel alongside one of our mission partners. For all of you, however, this means intentionally taking the opportunities to share the gospel, offering restoration to all who trust in Christ, trusting the sovereignty of the Spirit. Okay, so that's the first bit. Trust the sovereign leadership of the Holy Spirit in sharing the gospel. Secondly, and now we're going to come full circle to what we were sharing a moment ago. 
Maybe, maybe a kind of hobby horse, I don't know. But I think it's faithful to the text. Second, trust and obey what God has revealed rather than trying to discover what God has not revealed. Let me say that again. Trust and obey what God has revealed. Rather than spending your time trying to discover what God has not revealed to you. The Apostle Paul simply sought to minister the gospel wherever he could, and the Spirit was preventing him for a season. And we don't know how long this season lasted. It's a couple of verses in the text. Rest assured, it wasn't a couple of verses to Paul. So the Spirit led, the Spirit closed doors, the Spirit opened doors. And I do think this is a moment to reflect on a common misunderstanding in our evangelical subculture. And, and really, I'm going to quote somebody, um, Jerry Sitzer, who's written a book on this. Uh, there are a number of good books on this. Kevin DeYoung has also written a book, a Presbyterian brother, um, that's called Just, <laughs> Just Do Something. Just Do Something. <laughs> Love the title. Uh, he's great with titles. Short book, by the way. I would encourage you to read that. Does it say all that needs to be said? No, but I think it's a helpful corrective for us. But Jerry Sitzer summarizes this misunderstanding that permeates um, so many churches and many Christians, and I'm one of them. Here's what Jerry Sitzer says. Conventional teaching is that the will of God consists of a specific pathway we should follow into the future. God knows what the pathway is, and he has laid it out for us to follow. Our responsibility is to discover this pathway, God's plan for our lives. Unfortunately, it is not always obvious. If anything, it is often ambiguous. We must figure out which of the many pathways we could follow is the one we should follow, the one God has planned for us. He goes on to say, if we choose rightly, we will experience his blessing and achieve success and happiness. He's cooking in my kitchen here. (laughs) If we choose wrongly, we may lose our way. Miss God's will for our lives and remain lost forever in an incomprehensible maze. End quote. Friends, may I suggest to you this is generally not how the Word of God speaks about the will of God? It's just not. God's will in Scripture usually can be described in one of two ways. And here I'm, I'm kind of standing in the reform stream of the faith. Uh, but I think this is thoroughly biblical. Um, one is God's will of decree. God's will of decree. Uh, some, you know, some of the literature will refer to God's decretive will. Some of the literature will refer to God's secret will. But God's will of decree, which includes all that comes to pass. Because after all, God is sovereign. And so as Paul wrote in Ephesians 1 verse 11, God works some things according to the counsel of his will. <laughs> no, God works all things. will of decree. And by the way, this will of decree is not a will that he often reveals to us. He doesn't give us that. He didn't give it to Paul. 
God's will of decree was that Paul would not proclaim Christ throughout Asia Minor at this time or in Bithynia. He didn't reveal it to Paul until Paul couldn't preach the gospel in these areas. So how do we come to realize God's will of decree as it happens? As it happens. So that's God's will of decree. And then another way, in fact, this is a very common way, perhaps the most common way Scripture speaks about God's will is is God's will of command or instruction. God's will of command or instruction. And this includes all that pleases God. An example of this is 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, a common few verses. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so, you know, often and I find myself doing this, Father, show me your will, I can almost... Feel the Spirit of God saying, I have. And this is consistently the way the Word of God describes the will of God, what God has revealed to us in His Word. And so in our text, Paul was living in submission and obedience to what God had revealed, right? Namely, go and proclaim Christ. That was God's revealed will for the Apostle Paul. He didn't reveal where. Or when, or to what extent, or to whom. He said, Go and proclaim Christ. So, what did Paul do? He went. And then, as Paul was obeying the will of God for his life, God's will of decree, of course, manifested by the leadership of the Holy Spirit, directed him. That's really the way the Christian life often looks. And we spend time asking the Lord for wisdom. Indeed, we spend time asking the Lord for direction. We spend time praying and fasting about all the big decisions in our lives and at times even spending seasons of prayer and fasting. For example, Advent season is often a time where we spend time fasting in prayer or preparing for Holy Week. We oftentimes as Christians spend time fasting and praying together. Indeed, all of this is important to recognize our utter dependence on the leadership of the Holy Spirit. But I think this obsession with coming to discover all of God's secret will or will of decree for our life is unhealthy. I think it's unhealthy and I think it often distracts us from doing the will of God that he has indeed revealed to us. So, so in summary, doing the will of God is less about discovering what we don't know and it's more about obeying what we do know, okay? Fair enough. Yeah, we're going to wrap up. We'll, we'll share a story another time. Um, and it was nothing more than a story that I have, probably that many of you have, of thinking that God was leading in a direction and looking back, deciding, yeah, he was, right into a brick wall. And then having to pray and ask the Lord, continue to lead, please, and evaluate my life. And ask, Father, is there hidden sin in my life? Am I, am I living contrary to your revealed will for me? And if not, then guide me, please. And I go again. And Tan and I packed up, and there we went again. We moved at one point for a year. I said I wouldn't tell the story. We moved one point for a year to a place where we thought this was, okay, I'm telling you, it was Dallas. Dallas, Texas, to finish seminary, 
so confident this was the will of God for us. And was it? Well, on the one hand, yeah. How do I know that? Because we did it. question. Lord, did you lead us here? Why did I question it? Because I have, hmm, I have assumptions that are consistent with what we might even call a kind of prosperity gospel. I have assumptions that if I accurately ascertain the secret will of the Lord, he will only bless me for success in this life. I don't have assumptions like many Christians throughout church history that Maybe he's calling me to Golgotha. Maybe I'm at the cross by the will of the Lord. But we were there for one year, challenging year, and the Lord did so much in our lives. And we moved right back from where we left. Tail tucked. And God is good. And the Spirit of God led. And we continue to navigate this with you all under the sovereign leadership of the Holy Spirit. Okay, we've answered three questions. First, what was Paul's goal? To proclaim Christ. Second, who was Paul's guide? The Holy Spirit. Third, how does this apply to us? I've given a couple. First, trust the sovereign leadership of the Holy Spirit in taking the gospel to others. And second, trust and obey what God has revealed rather than trying to discover what God has not revealed. And as believers in Jesus Christ this morning, the words of a hymn written in 1863 came to my mind this last week, and we'll close with this, that I think these words serve as a comforting reminder, considering the truths of our text. Some of you may know this. He leadeth me. Oh, blessed thought. <laughs> Isn't it a blessed thought that he leads us? He leadeth me, oh, blessed thought. Oh, words with heavenly comfort fraught. Whatever I do, wherever I be, still tis God's hand that leadeth me. He leadeth me, he leadeth me by his own hand. He leadeth me, his faithful follower I would be. For by his hand, he leadeth me. Let's pray.